Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Let's move on to the sermon series that we have been in. We have been in a series called How Not to Fall. We've been in 2 Peter. And if uh, you are coming back and you're like, hey, I haven't been here for any of these messages, you can go to woodlandmqt.org. And we've got all of our sermons online there, I think. Lise, what do you think? Up to date? They probably are. We're all like, we don't know. Guys, we are not good with the online world. I'm not going to lie. We're, we're just better in person. But I think there's some sermons online, maybe from 2011, that you can definitely catch. So, But if you missed it, we do try to keep those up to date. But we have been in this series looking at what Peter reminds the church in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a reminder that this is the calling to God's people, that as we follow Christ, God wants to develop some, some characteristics inside of us. Last week, we, we talked about this idea of being steadfast with the Lord. It is the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances or to walk under a load we were reminded last week that as we follow christ it's not easy god's kingdom work is not for the faint of hearted and we have to develop and god desires to develop within us this ability to walk under a load to be able to be steadfast in this life if somebody has has sold you a lie that following jesus it's just going to be easy, and it's roses, and it's unicorns, and it's rainbows, and it's cookies, and it's all, always good, and it's always easy. That is a straight lie biblically. The Bible demands from God's followers to be steadfast, to be able to endure in this life. There is warning after warning after warning throughout the entire New Testament and Old Testament that God has this calling, that we are called to be steadfast as we follow Christ. And it's vital for us to be developing that within us. Well, within this series, we have been looking at this list of qualities that are called to be within us because Peter says we need to make every effort to supplement our faith. Peter desires to stir us up and remind us of these qualities. And if we practice these qualities, Peter says, you will never fall. So we're going to continue to look at 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15, and we're going to stand this morning as we, as we read the Word of God together. God's Word says this this morning. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellences, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with, with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intended always, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by a way of reminder since I have known that putting off my body will be soon and our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for your truth. Father, today as we look at another quality that you desire to be growing within your people. Father, by your Holy Spirit, will you come and will you minister to us? Father, will you continuously call us out of darkness into light and help your church, your people, to walk in obedience to you? Father, I praise you now and I ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated here. Well, you have probably picked up on the order and the quality that we are going to be talking about today. So far, we've looked at virtue, knowledge, self-control, and last week, steadfastness. And this week, we're looking at this idea of godliness, 2 Peter 1.6. And knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Now, earlier in this series, if you had been here, you had... Remember that we had talked about this word virtue several weeks ago at the beginning of these words that Peter lays out here. And virtue, I want to just make a quick, it's slightly different than this idea of godliness that we're going to be talking about today. When we looked at this several weeks ago, virtue has to do with moral excellences. And we talked back then, but it, it starts with what's happening on the inside of us. Virtue is our desire to honor the Lord from within us. And we talked that week that virtue is not just us looking good on the outside. We don't virtue signal as believers. We, it is this desire within us that is growing into honor the Lord. Now, godliness is it's extremely similar to this idea of virtue, but let me give you what this word means within the Greek language. It, it has this devoutness towards our Lord. It's this awesome respect accorded to God. Devoutness. Piety. And Peter here, as he is laying out these characteristics that he calls his church to have within them, I kind of see this as that God is building upon each characteristic that we have been looking at so far. So, like I said, virtue is more of like our moral compass 
within us. And then as we have this moral compass, there is this calling for us to be growing in our faith. And, and that's where we need knowledge of our Lord, of who he is and his calling upon our lives. And then as we're growing in our knowledge of God, we have to develop this quality of self-control. Self-control is this ability to have control over our emotions, over our thoughts, and over our actions. Is that as we follow Christ, God is transforming us. And and if we don't develop this ability to have self-control, that we will just be, it will just be chaotic. And we already know that. I mean, you know, as you look at men and women who don't have any self-control, they're blown by the wind. They go here and there, and they're all over the place, but as we develop within self-control, steadfastness becomes important for us. That we have to be steadfast in the things of the Lord. And like I said, I just see these things, they're building on top of one another. That that Peter is simply building building blocks and characteristics that God is calling to be within his people, within his church. And when we come to this idea of godliness, I kind of look at that as one of the pinnacle aspects of this. It's our devotion to the Lord. Godliness is also what comes out of us. We are devoted to him, but it's also the behavioral side, the godliness side. And it's interesting, when you read the Bible, this word godliness doesn't really show up that often. You know, as you read the like Old Testament, New Testament, this word godliness or godly is not used that often. It's kind of a theme throughout of Scripture, but it's, we got to look at 1 Timothy here because 1 Timothy is going to kind of help us understand this word, I think, a little bit better here. Now, now Timothy, last fall we kind of did a, a series on 1 Timothy here, and I'll just quickly remind you, Timothy is a letter written to a young pastor by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy with some instructions. Timothy, this is how the church ought to behave. This is how things ought to be. So as Paul writes this letter, and like what I just said, in the middle of this letter, Paul says this to him. This is 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. He says, I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing these things to you so that, in verse 15, if I delay, that you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church, the living God, a pillar a bu- and, and butress, buttress of the truth. He is writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I wrote this letter to you so that you would know how the house of God, how God's people should behave here. This is what it should look like. And as you read Timothy, he is going through all of these. Right before this, Timothy talked about overseers and deacons, and and these are characteristics that should be within these people. But then look at verse 16. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. It says, he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Leave that verse up there real quick because when you first read this verse, you're kind of like, 
great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Like, like say, what, is, what are you saying here, Paul? What's going on here? But then, these next verses, you guys can probably pick up on this as you just simply read them. He is giving, this is kind of one of the first creeds within God's scriptures that we see. That Timothy here is hearing from Paul. Paul is basically giving a summary of the faith right here. The summary goes like this. Our Savior was manifested in the flesh. Meaning the God of heaven came and dwelt. We celebrate that at Christmas time. Our, our God became flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, which is his resurrection. Having been put to death, hung on the cross for false charges, but Jesus destroyed all of those charges by his resurrection. Being seen by angels highlights the ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father, of who Jesus is. In this conversion of the nations and glory of Jesus is an assertion that he is glorified and his church spreads the good news across the globe here. Now, I pause here and I stop on this verse because here, Timothy is saying, okay, I'm writing you this letter. And this letter, Timothy, is to show us how our conduct should be. But then right after that, Paul reminds Timothy of who they are. And who Christ is. And I share this because we may not understand this, and we all know this, but your beliefs, who you believe Jesus is, who you believe the God of Scripture is, will dictate your behavior. That's why he says this is the mystery of of godliness here. This confession, this simple creed, is that out of who we and what we believe, comes our character it comes how we behave is what paul says here in first timothy godly behavior church will always flow out of belief system if you have a false belief system well your behavior follows with that and you guys all simply know this but look at how timothy first timothy 4 continues so chapter 3 ends but then look at these words look at how it flows out. 1 Timothy 4.1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and required abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of our God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of, and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Then look at this. He says this, have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, here's that word, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. I'm trying to make this argument because biblically it makes this. Godliness flows out of our beliefs. Period. As Paul writes this, he's writing to Timothy saying, listen, you've got some people in the church that have got some silly myths. They've got some bad ideas. They've got some bad doctrine. They've got some bad theology. And at that time, their bad theology was was that there was people in the church teaching them and saying, hey, you shouldn't be getting married. And they were also teaching them that you should be abstaining from certain foods. And now that's to our culture today. We don't really have those myths, but it's totally funny. We had a couple of college students over this past week, and they were telling us about one of their biology classes. And I was like completely shocked by this. I was like, what are you saying? There is, with on-college campus, talking about abstaining from certain foods, that there is this teaching going on in this world, which I didn't even realize. There is this teaching that we should be avoiding real food. That like eating meat is really bad for you. And I'm like, what? They're teaching this like, so hang on here. So instead of eating the meat that God has created, the cows, the chickens, the fish, everything that the Lord has created and said is good and that we should be intaking, they want you to start eating man-made food? And they're like, yep, like, like we should be eating man-made beef and man-made chicken. And I'm like, this is insanity. But I thought of that as I was reading this here. Like, it's like there's going to be teachings out there. And I thought, this is crazy. And they were pro-GMO seeds. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like all this modified stuff? Anyways, sorry, I'm getting all worked up here because I'm looking at this. I'm sitting there thinking, who's teaching this craziness? But guys, that's the world we live in. They, they don't have reality. They don't understand that, that God created everything and called it good and that it's for his precious human beings that is is the pinnacle of his creation, who, who God said, I've given you dominion over all things. And, but anyways, Paul here. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit worked up here. <laughs> I'm protesting on campus this week. I'm, I'm, I'm making signs. We need to eat more meat. In fact, after this, I'm going to go out and buy a lot of steak tonight. Just, <laughs> just, just a lot of beef. Because it's good for you. Anyways. There's a warning in this section of Scripture. It says, having training in the words of faith, Paul says. Having training in words of faith and of good doctrine. And he says, you should be training yourselves for godliness. And like what I just said, guys, godliness, it's this devotion to Christ. But it's also, you, you have to know what the Bible says. Godliness flows out of our devotion, but also out of good doctrine and good biblical beliefs, right? Like, say, like if we don't understand what God's word says, if we don't understand proper doctrine and, pop, and proper theology, our godliness isn't there. Because we behave, we act out of what we truly believe. And, and this has always played out this way. This is... This is like foundational. But it's interesting because Paul here is making this, this argument here. You should be training yourselves in godliness. And right before that, he's talking about good doctrine, solid biblical teaching. So, so basically, our training within godliness 
comes out of our ability to know who God is. It doesn't come by us just having these, like, you know, feelings and all, you know, just random thoughts here. It comes out of our being devoted to the Lord. Look at what James says, James 2, 17, 18. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. As we are devoted to Christ, godly lifestyle, our character, our behavior, flows out of that. All of our conduct, everything. But we need to be constantly growing in our knowledge of who Christ is. That's why I kind of said this whole section, Second Peter, he's kind of building up to this idea of just godliness. You, you, you need to have a, a moral compass. You need to have some knowledge. You, you need to be having some self-control. You, you need to be steadfast. And this is all leading to this ability for God's people to have this godliness within them, and that would be flowing out of them. I think, honestly, church, godliness flows out of a passion. Just this desire to be obedient to Christ. When we see godly people, we, we admire godly people. If I said, hey, name someone who you know to be godly, you can literally think of someone whose lifestyle, whose, whose behavior is just God-honoring in all circumstances, all situations. But it, it flows out of our passion to be obedient to Christ. Earlier on in 1 Peter, he says this, 1 Peter 1. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it, it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, this is more than just behavior modification. This behavior modification has taken place within God's church forever. And it's, it's totally false and it's totally wrong. Behavior modification it has more of a should attitude. Well, I should be doing good. I should be stopping this sin. I should be more moral. I should be doing what is right. And you're trying to change behavior. That's not God's goal. See, when we have a passion for who Christ is and what he has done, when you come in contact with the living God, when you realize who Christ is, what he has done, there's a passion that grows within God's people. It's not should. It's not I should do what is right. It's I want to. I want to honor God. I want to serve him. I want to be obedient to him within all circumstances. It's not based on this like shame and should and, you know, I probably should be doing something. It is more of a I want to be doing something. I want to be honoring you, Christ, with everything that I have. 
There's a big difference there. We can't live in the shoulds. I think that's just religion. Well, you know, I, pastor, I've been thinking, and I've been thinking, I, I really should just start reading my Bible more. Guys, when we encounter the living God, it's not should. It's want. It's a desire. It's a passion within us that is growing. And godliness is what is flowing out of that. I think this is vital because God's people are called to have this passion to be holy, as what Peter says here. Be holy for I am holy. And church, you can't do that with shoulds. It doesn't last. It might spring up for like a little bit. You might be able to do some godly characteristics for a little while, but that's not lasting. I like what uh, Jesus says, John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, just that first phrase, if you love me. Think about that. Not if you should love me, not, not if you, you know, maybe. It says, if you love me. It's out of this love for Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If we love him, we will have this burning desire within us, church, to be obedient to him. That godliness will flow out of us. It won't be manufactured. It won't be like, well, I, I got my list of do's and don'ts and I've been keeping those. It is this burning desire that, God, everything you have, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to be obedient to you in all things. I want to jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is why. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God, the Savior of all people. Guys, as we set our hope on Christ, that's where our, our godliness flows out of. It's a calling, church. And I think it is birthed within God's spirit, within his people. Now, I want to warn you, and I kind of brought this up a little bit, but about, about this idea of false godliness. False godliness is the most destructive thing to God's church and to God's people. This is what I mean by it. When men and women who want to have this appearance of godliness without the burning desire to be obedient to Christ. And this is played out, and this is played out within so many people's lives. And we have seen this, and you have, have seen this, but it's a terrible witness. It's a false witness. It's this manufactured witness. It's like this false godliness has taken root. Within, within church history, it has, it has taken root within God's people. And actually, I think it does more damage than good. Because basically, I mean, I mean, Jesus warns us. Jesus talks about Pharisees. He talks about these religious people that have this idea of like this appearance. This appearance of me doing what's right. But on the inside, there's no passion for it. I think back to the 1960s. 
and I've probably brought up the 60s quite a bit, but within church history, you need to understand what was taking place right before the 1960s. So the 60s was the sexual revolution, the invention of birth control, the invention of all this stuff that has taken our society absolutely crazy sexualized within all areas, right? But we don't ever think about what was the church like before that? I think in the 40s and 50s, the American church had false godliness going on. That there was a lot of churches that were saying, we need to look good. We need to dress a certain way. And if someone's going to come through our doors, we need to have a certain appearance. It was more about appearance and less about this desire within them to have this passion for who Christ is and what he has done. And then the 60s play out. But you know what is fascinating? If you have seen the movie Jesus a Revolution, I haven't, but I've, I've read a lot about, about, about what took place in those times, is that as the sin grows within our world, and I think this is happening today, right now, right now, as the sin grows within the world, the world starts to see what darkness is. And as people see darkness, I think that that's when God starts drawing them to the light. But God's people, they only get drawn to the true light, to men and women who, who just have this desire within them to follow Christ. Not a fake desire, not a should desire, but a burning passion to be obedient to the king. Just burning within them, wanting to see men and women come to faith, holding on to the, to the deep truths of what God's word says. And as you look at the last 200 years, you guys probably know this, but there have been four great awakenings in the U.S. This is within our state side. There's been a lot of great awakenings throughout Europe, throughout, I mean, throughout human history. God has awakened his church, awakened his people, and men and women have come to faith. But in the last 200 years, there's been some great awakenings. One of the first ones was 1740 to 1742. It was led by such a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. If you've never read about these guys, write that name down. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield. Around 50,000 people were added to the church, and this was out in New England during the first Great Awakening. The second one was in the 1790s to around the 1840s. Charles Finley was during, this was during that time, and there was men and women who were coming to the Lord through tents and on sawdust floors and pre preaching the gospel, and thousands came. The third Great Awakening was from 1857 to 1859. That was when a 48-year-old businessman by the name of Jonathan Laffire began to preach in New York City. It was small, but thousands of people came to faith. You know when the last great awakening was? In the 70s. The last great American awakening took place in the 70s, right after the 60s sexual revolution. And every great awakening, every one of them, it started within God's church, started within God's people having a passion for godliness. And I would add prayer. 
but it started when God's people, not the people on the outside, not, not those who God's church loves to be criticizing, not the sinners on the outside. It happened when God's people took godliness seriously. Who the Spirit of God did such a work in their life that all they wanted was obedience to the King. So they started praying and their lifestyle started changing. And they started saying, God, I want everything in my life to be pure. I want, I want what I see, what I do, what I listen to, who I am. I want my conduct. I want everything to be brought under the lordship of you. And then what takes place is, guys, men and women come to faith. You can document this throughout all of church history. When God's people get underneath the obedience to his word and to his authority, a great awakening takes place. Martin Luther, that's, that's basically, Luther was just simply saying, I'm reading scripture, it's saying this, how can I not tell others about this? This is what scripture says. And then the Reformation takes place. And it's like, this is what the calling is, church. I'm telling you this right now. We can look at our culture, and you guys know it's depraved, right? I mean, I mean come on. It, I mean, just look at anything, and you're like, this is nuts out there. But instead of complaining, which I do a lot, when God's people have a passion to be honoring to him, when that's their burning passion, it's not fake, it's not made up, it's not should, it's God, I just want you. I just want to be obedient to you. I just want to live out your word every single day. And Lord, I'm all in and I'm sold out for the cause of who you are and what you have done what happens, church, is that as God's people live this out, as this world becomes increasingly dark, they get drawn to the light. They do. My prayer for this church, for this time, for this season, as I think about what God is doing, not just in Marquette, but, but nationwide, I, I see this move within God's spirit across his church and across his people. It comes when we get serious about obedience to him. It doesn't come through just criticism. It comes through our passion to honor him. And my prayer today as I've been praying over this message and over this idea of godliness and this idea of us just being devoted to the king, my prayer is that God would be doing a work within us, church, within me. I want every area of my life to be devoted to him. What I watch, what I listen to, what I take in, everything. And it's not so that I can become a Pharisee. That's the danger side, where we start getting a, a bunch of rules and we, and we start saying, well, you guys got to follow these rules. And it's like, the calling is just come and be obedient to Christ in all things. I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to be coming up, and I ask them to, to lead us in a song. And I'm going to be praying right now that God would be doing a work within our hearts and within our minds, church. I don't want you leaving here thinking, well, I need to become godly. I want God, through his spirit, to, to birth within us a passion for him. Not a fake passion but through his Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, as we come, 
Father, do a work within us. Do a work within your church, within your people. This is calling to just radical obedience to you. Father, through your spirit, Lord, birth within us this desire for you. Let it not be man-made. Like I said, it's not should, Lord. Father, as, as we're gathering this very moment, Lord, call your people. Put a fire within your church that is unquenchable. Put these de desires within us to radically live out obedience to you. Father, grow it. Father, as we sing, as we worship, do a work. Father, I pray this in Christ's name.